Welcome to the LAPUX podcast, where we feature practical insights on how to lead with authenticity and courage in a changing world. This podcast is part of a growing collection of conversations with thought leaders in the corporate and nonprofit world who exemplify Christ-centered leadership. These thought leaders influence and contribute to meaningful professional development opportunities that seed our growing list of certificates and digital badges designed by our award-winning team who create world-class learning experiences that put humanity back into learning. Join us today in this journey to innovate and show the world what agile learning can be. Hello, listeners, and thank you for taking time to be with us and to continue the series of excellence in leadership, and especially as we discussed today, the importance of leading through being understood in a VUCA world. So I'm going to introduce our guest, Dr. David Wright, who's currently the president of Indiana Wesleyan University. I've known David probably over a couple of decades. I know his experience as a leader has been both in a church, it's been in organizations, and a long and distinguished career in the academic field, higher education, dean, provost, and currently the president of IW. So David, thank you for being with us. I appreciate you taking the time. That's a pleasure, John. Thank you so much for the invitation. So David, we're actually having a conversation right now with regard the VUCA world, right? The volatile, the uncertain, the complex, et cetera. Do you think this is kind of an, an event that's going to stop? Or do you think this is kind of where the world is going in the future? What are your thoughts on a VUCA world before we, we get into specific questions? Yes, I think this is a time when there's so much volatility, complexity, uncertainty about not only our personal lives, but the organizations we serve. I, I don't think this is a passing event that will uh, will leave us unchanged. In fact, most of the best wisdom I hear these days is that what we're going through at the moment has simply accelerated trends and, and factors that were already at work in the world. And I certainly see that happening in our organization. So no, I don't think this is a passing phase. I think it is a new new reality that we're facing and we have to lead within that reality. Yeah, I think that is that is absolutely the trend. And what I see is leaders becoming tired. And that's the conversation about what does it mean to be resilient? Mm-hmm. Seems like 2020 was a hard year. 2021 was a harder year. Now we're in 2022 and it doesn't seem to be becoming any, any easier. So I've been writing a, a blog and I made the statement. And so let me just read it to you and see how, what you think of it. As leaders, we're aware of how important it is that our organizations perceive the intended meaning of what is being communicated. And this meaning is shared and interpreted by the organization as a whole. Ambiguity of meaning does not lead to a healthy organization or trust in the leader. Any thoughts on that in terms of how you see communication being different in a, in a VUCA world? Lots of stuff to unpack there, John. I do think we're, we're in a time when there's a great deal of ambiguity. It's a time, I think, when the sources of certainty to which people have turned are less present, more, the, the signals are more attenuated. Uh, there are so many voices that claim to be experts in areas that I think uh, it's hard for people to determine who they can trust today, which I think exacerbates the problem of ambiguity. And uh, certainly we've seen this around the pandemic. Who do you trust? What voice do you trust? Who really even speaks for science? There's a lot said today. Do you trust science or do you not trust science? But Part of the problem, it's not sort of a binary choice. Do I trust science or not trust science? It's who do I trust within the field itself? The things that used to mark out expertise, that used to mark out trusted voices for us, I think uh, are harder to find today. And as I said, the, the signal from 
various leaders is more attenuated because there's so much noise in the system today. Yeah, I do think this is a time when leaders struggle to be heard above all of the noise, first of all. And then even when people hear what leaders are saying, interpreting that voice or, or the message that we try to send to our organizations among the plethora of other voices that are out there, I think it, it is especially challenging for leaders today to, to be heard and understood in that context. My own experience these days is that you can't over-communicate and you have to continue to, to find ways to make a connection with people so that they can understand what it is you're, you're, you're sharing with them and put it within a context of trust. Yeah, certainly. I mean, communication is the foundation for a leader in, in leading the organization. I mean, central skill. What I'm noticing as well is more people are working from home and it's becoming more of a virtual world. That's a little bit more complicated for a leader. You can't read the room, right, in terms of um, being out there in an event, et cetera. Is that something that you're seeing? Because you probably have the same as us, having a more distributed workforce and, and so on. Yeah, I think that phenomenon of not being able to read the room is a good way to put it. And it is also a metaphor. It's tough to read the room of the whole organization. Right. You know, here's what I've been pushing our people for in our university as we deal with the complexities of the world today and some of the difficult choices we have to make to shift and change with the markets and the way they are with the audiences that we have in higher education. Uh, sometimes what I hear, I, I hear all kinds of feedback from the organization. So and uh, what I've been pushing our folks to do is to say, let's not think of that broadly. Let's try to be as specific as we can. So who did you hear from? And what exactly did you hear? And then make sure that you return the, the favor of communication to that person. I think the loop that we tend to get into and, and did in the past is we would hear things as leaders. They would come to us at our sort of our central command, wherever we are. And then we would craft a message for everybody and we would send that message back out to everybody. I think that loop doesn't work as effectively anymore. So what I've been trying to do is actually go back to the sources of what we heard as much as we can. And what I discover when we do that is that there are key people that informally have trust in their networks. And if I can send a clear message to that person then I have a better chance of getting them to disseminate that message back to the persons they heard from, rather than to continue on around the loop for me to send some message out broadly to everybody that may or may not really speak to the questions that were asked or the fear that people had, the anxiety that created the chatter in the first place. I think it's being really careful about the channels of communication, careful about exactly what you're hearing in this day. In that you, the uncertainty in the VUCA world, I think what it drives us to do is to listen more. The way to find certainty in an uncertain place, I think, is to make an art and, a, and an obsession out of observation and listening, because that then gives us the tools that we have to really understand what's happening in our organization and being able to return messages that make sense to where people are. Yeah, that's an outstanding thought because I think that it, that it really is far more listening than we've ever had to do before because it really has become a very bilateral communication model from a more unilateral. Do you have any um, story you could share with us or experience in the last couple of years or in your leadership that actually would share something that didn't go so well in being understood or, this, or something that really went well? Sure. Uh, within the last uh, 10 days, actually. <laughs> there you go. Cur a current event. <laughs> 
One of the ways I often introduce myself in meetings is chief troublemaker at Indiana Western University. Nobody else has to make any trouble or mistakes because I do all that for everyone. Uh, and the unfortunate truth is, you know, as a president and as senior leaders in these organizations, we're put in a position where we have to speak. We have to try to diagnose the situations we're in, divine where the markets are going, where the audiences are going, and then uh, lead our organizations down those pathways. And inevitably, when you do that, you communicate in ways that are not helpful. So it, here's the specific thing that hap is happening with us. Like many places, the retrenchment of the audiences for higher education causes differential growth and loss in our programs. So some programs are growing, other programs are declining. And overall, there's a loss of enrollment in higher education. So it's the unusual organization right now the, whose enrollment and revenue is steady or growing. Most of us are having to do budget cuts of one kind or another. For some organizations, those are existential threats. For others, they are a sort of a, a reallocation of, of resources. So we've had to do some budget cuts. We've had to uh, do reductions in force and so forth. Another thing that we've really had to look at is to say, you know, it isn't just about cutting budgets in this program or that program, we really need to look at the way that our university is structured and is it structured well, both for the challenges and the opportunities that are gonna come down the road. So at my last town hall, I told the community, I'm asking one of our key leaders, one of our key senior leaders to put together a task force for us to begin to look at the way that the university as a whole is structured so that we don't just make one-off changes here and there, but we really position ourselves well for the future. Now, that seems like a perfectly understandable message to me. <laughs> it was clear to me what I was thinking about, but what was heard was, oh my goodness, they're going to get rid of a whole bunch of departments and it might be my department. I'm not sure I'm going to have a job next year. What are these people doing? And by the way, are they going to consult faculty? Are faculty governance process going to be involved? Who is he going to talk to? Where is he going to get his information? How are these decisions going to get made? Will we get to speak into this at all? What are his biases? So after I made that announcement, my team came back to me and said, David, we need to, we need to clarify that message a little bit because what you intended to communicate made a whole lot of sense in one context, but where people are sitting with their anxieties today, they heard something else. So, you know, first of all, as a leader, I'm a little offended, like, well, but yeah, I'm a good communicator. They should have understood what I was saying. What's wrong with them? <laughs> you know, that's the characteristic thing that leaders do, especially if you've been a president for a while. I'm so bright, they should have understood me. But actually, the, the problem is the other way around. I didn't fully understand how that message was going to be interpreted. I should have. And so I have to have the humility to listen to the people around me who, who are helping me when they say, yeah, you put something out there, it's a good start to the conversation, but it can't end there. We have to go back and fill in the blanks and tamp down the, the kerfuffle that got created by that and help people with their anxiety so they really understand this is a positive thing as we look into the future. Yeah, there are going to be some changes that come. There inevitably are, but there's nothing that we have to fear about that process. It will be a positive one. So yeah, that was my, that's within the last 10 days I've had to think through what was I really wanting to communicate? What did I do well? What did I not do well? And how do we continue to communicate well? 
is always a, a great example of how a leader learns, right? We're never too old to learn in this business. So you mentioned that it was through a town hall. What I'm also finding is that having multi-generations is actually making it a little bit more complex as well, because a town hall would be a very standard way of addressing a large group of people. But when you're sitting with a workforce that, um, you know, probably from the young 20s, maybe into the 70s, et cetera, being understood with one medium or one platform, it's not always the way it happens. Any, any thoughts to that? I had about 500 in attendance. And uh, maybe 200 were sitting in the room physically with me. The rest were, okay. were watching over media one kind or another. So, so yes, clearly uh, with the distributed workforce that we have today and with the, uh, the platforms of, for communication that people find most comfortable, you, you have to find many different ways. You know, part of where I, I've seen this and had to reckon with this in our organization over the last three years in all of the upheavals that we've gone through, whether it's politics, economics, uh, religious freedom issues, whatever there might be, uh, we have two dedicated social media managers for, for our organization. And so they are constantly watching the internet and the, you know, the social media spheres for where does IW show up? What's the chatter? Uh, and then they disseminate our, med our messages over the various uh, social media and digital media platforms that we use. So they're crucially important employees right now. Well, they're both very young. One just graduated from undergraduate university here maybe two years ago. So she's in, you know, early 20s. The other one isn't much older, maybe late 20s. So one of the things I discovered is that they are interacting in that world in a very different way than I interact with it. It's not that I'm absent from social media, but it does not play as prominent in my consumption of information and data as it does in theirs. And so when things show up in that world for them, they're concerned that we respond immediately. My tendency is to say, well, let's think about that. What's the message? What's being said? How many people are involved? Where are they in the organization or outside of the organization? How do we craft the message? They've been pushing me to be much more nimble and to understand the way in which younger people consume information and process information. Another example is this. I grew up in a, in a generation where anything that was important to me, I processed with a few people, but I certainly didn't process it in public. And I don't want to stereotype younger generations, but I think there's a lot more willingness to the things that matter to them, they tend to matter in a bigger sphere, and they're more comfortable talking about them, the pros and cons. It's just one thing I've noticed. There are many things that I've noticed as I work across the generations. This is true also of ethnicity and culture, of gender, the vectors that create our channels of communication and the way in which you process information, I think, differ on all those particularities and intersectionalities. Yeah, that's very true. So the multi-generational, I had a similar experience. And on the same day, I needed two pieces of information, one from somebody who would have been in work experience of 40, 50 years, and one who was quite young in there. And I went to both of them asking for the information, gave a deadline. I think on the Friday, I got a very nice uh, memo back, you know, kind of, dear Dr. Reynolds, um, subject to the whole thing with the information hidden in probably 40 or 50 lines of narrative. From the younger person, I got a text to my personal mobile phone. It just had the number. 
<laughs> there was no background. It's just I got both pieces of information, uh, but exactly, but just totally two different formats. And so, you know, how do you work with that? So anyway, it, it is a, is a fun time. Both of us have a tendency to be analytical and want to see systematic um, responses, etc. Do you have any kind of formula or model that you use to be sure that you are actually are communicating, being heard and being understood um, with kind of a shared message with your audiences? I wish I had a, a really neat acronym or, you know, some neat model to share with you along that line. There's some patterns uh, or, or some values that I've come to embody in, in my leadership, uh, particularly as I try to communicate. The first is I would rather deal with the problems that come with transparency than the problems that come with being secretive, with information. I first started articulating that way about 20 years ago. I've worked for different leaders who were on different places on that spectrum. Now, there's clearly information that you can't share publicly with everyone. And it particularly deals with confidentialities of personnel issues and, and so forth. Uh, there are also things that are proprietary to an organization you wouldn't share publicly. However, I've just always found that the problems are easier to solve, are more genuine and more real, and lead to better outcomes when you're being as transparent as you can with people. So that's one of my first rules that I try to instill in my teams. Let's be as transparent as we can, unless there is a legal reason or a moral personal reason for us not to share information. Let's trust people with information instead of being secretive or overly protective. Second thing that I've found is that vulnerability goes a long, long way in having people trust me and trust our team when we're sharing. I've just always tried to be as real as I can with people. If I'm afraid, it's better for me to say to people, yeah, I, I get scared too, and here's how I deal with it, rather than kind of putting up this false front that, no, the president never gets worried or afraid about anything. I mean, people, especially faculty, they have a pretty good BS meter. They know when you're pulling the wool over their eyes. And, and this is another thing I, know, I noticed about a younger generation. They have no tolerance for inauthenticity from leadership. It's much better to just be upfront and say, hey, this is what I'm wrestling with. Now you can't leave it there. You have to move on and say, here's how we're going to deal with it. So the third thing is that the foundational elements that you've built into your character are ultimately what guide the ability of people to trust you. I've sometimes said it this way, you can't lead beyond your character. And character is built slowly, little by little, with the small decisions you make about being honest, about being real, about caring about other people, about choosing a mission in life that draws you into the future, that animates you and excites you every day, makes you come to work. These are the things that really build your character. And when people sense that even if they may disagree with you on any particular thing, if they sense your character and they trust that character, they're going to tend to trust your message. Like I had a, a young faculty member that I've known for, we've worked together for a number of years. And he gave me a, what I consider to be a huge compliment coming from a faculty member. And he said, David, you know, we faculty members, we always like to find fault. We're, we're always critical of the administration. But he said, when we understand someone's heart and where they're coming from and what they're trying to accomplish for our, for our university, we're willing to go a long ways down the road with you, even if we don't always agree with your decisions. I don't know that there's a better compliment. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's outstanding. Transparency, authentic vulnerability, and then I love their statement, never to lead beyond your character. I think that's um, something that's, uh, that's authenticity kind of all wrapped into three or four words. So that outstanding, um, outstanding stuff. David, thanks again so much for giving us your time and appreciate it. And this, there's a lot of food for thought, a lot of great wisdom there. And I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate it. Again, for those listening, we have our sites at LAPUX and we look forward to connecting with you and keeping this series going. So thanks very much, David. Appreciate it. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the LAPUX podcast. We sincerely hope you enjoyed learning something new today and that you have at least one takeaway to use immediately in your professional life. Please take a few seconds to review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We value your feedback so highly because we're doing this for you. Please also subscribe to this podcast where we will be providing you with leadership training and resources as we hear from more Christian leaders from all over the world. Connect with us on social media so we can journey by learning together. All of our channels are listed in the show description. Before you go, we want to invite you to visit x.lapu.edu to see the courses that we've created for you. Check back often as we are always developing new offerings. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, we're here to help you become a better you. So check out x.lapu.edu.